Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Small Council Radio, where we talk about everything uh, related to a a Song of Ice and Fire, the miniature game by Simon. Uh, We have a couple of things to get started with really quickly. Um, Number one, we are excited to announce that we have another member of the Small Council. Uh, It is Craig Gruenhagen, and if I butchered the pronunciation on your name, you can slap me the next time you see me. Uh, Craig is a very strong Stark player uh, from the uh, Midwest region, um, and he has been to Indy to play in some of our events, and he's got a very strong passion for the game, so we went ahead and brought him in, but I will let him tell you about himself very quickly. Um, Just kind of introduce yourself, how long you've played A Song of Ice and Fire, what factions you main, if there's more than one, um, why you like them, what you like about the game, you know, the standard stuff, just kind of introduce yourself to the audience. All right. Well, you actually did pretty good on the name. I'll give you some credit there. Um, I do mostly play Starks. I occasionally dabble in Targaryens. Uh, they're not that good, but I do like speed. Um, but as far as how long as I've played, um, I bought the game uh, not on Kickstarter, but our local store actually put the game on the shelf a few days before they were supposed to, and I picked it up there and have been playing since the beginning. I didn't start doing tournaments, though, until this year, which was pretty good timing, you know, with COVID and everything. But, uh, yeah, I love the game, and I love Starks, and speed kills. So that's kind of how I play it. (laughs) Yeah, the speed uh, is definitely uh, translated between the two factions that you've chosen. Um, Have you had a chance to try Dragons yet? I haven't. I'm kind of mixed on that. Um, in that I'm excited because they look awesome on one hand, but on the other hand, I'm not sure I'm going to make too many friends playing them. So, so I'm a little mixed there, but I'm sure I'll give them a try soon. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to kind of add in there real quick. Uh, so Craig is an addition to Small Council Radio. Just to clarify, uh, I don't want anyone to think that uh, he's replacing Jose. Jose is still a awesome member of small council radio he's just currently in school for unfortunately about the next year and a half uh so it's probably going to be a bit before jose can get back on but uh we we didn't uh replace uh jose or any other current member uh we decided to kind of extend our our host uh bench that way um we had plenty of people to come on and that way um other hosts didn't feel obligated to have to be on every week. Um, so just wanted to throw that in there. Uh, I don't know if it even crossed anyone's mind, but I figured I'd throw it out there. Yeah. Thanks for oh, adding yeah. me to the group. I do appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you was almost unanimous, uh, when we were kind of discussing, uh, who to add. So, um, I mean, we had a couple other options out there, but it was definitely a, a pretty strong vote towards you. So, thank you. Yeah, well, I guess I guess when you came to Indy, you were kind of nice and kind of cool <laughs> and stuff like that. So, <laughs> I'm not very good. No, yeah, right. It's definitely it's definitely good to have another Stark player on here because we know that all of our listeners and everybody in the community just love Stark so much 
that they just love hearing input from everybody who plays them. But uh, mentioning Stark, actually, um, we've got a very, very special um, guest that's coming on. We're having a little bit of difficulty connecting him, so we're going to fill you with filler (laughs) until we can get him hooked up. But uh, he's coming from Germany, so he was kind enough to stay up late. Uh, it is Lark, as I announced on the on the Facebook page. Uh, it's Daniel Loffelman, and if I butchered his name pronunciation, he can kill me too. But uh, he's the recent winner of the Masters tournament. But uh, we are just trying to get him connected. So for the time being, um, just uh, amongst yourselves, really quickly, Dave and Craig, uh, is it any surprise to you? from what you've seen in tournaments and uh, from obviously playing them so, so long. Uh, are you surprised that Starks won the Masters event? Not, not at all. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think when you ask me and Craig, it's it's a little, I think we're a little biased because it's our go, I, I would assume uh, it's Craig's go-to, but I know it's my go-to faction when I'm going to anything big. And, uh, you know, just on a bias point, you know, the fact that it is my go-to when I play every faction, uh, I just feel that they are, they just have the best tools to get you to the, you know, finish line. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, They're the oldest. So the guys who started with the game originally started with Starks. So everyone's got them. Um, since they've been out so long, they have all the tools, they've been updated. Um, there's so many different ways you can play them. You know, there's the wolf spam and Zerker spam, cavalry lists, defensive lists, a little bit of control if you go Helen Reed. So there's so many different ways to play the faction that even if, you know, even, even if the two uh, the finalist in the start game is, or in the finals, he could be a Tully player playing a defensive list against a Stark player running all Umber Berserkers. They play two completely different ways, but it's still Starks. So it's really no surprise that with all the different ways to play them that they get played so much. So it's, it's, actually, it's actually interesting because, uh, you know, as I mentioned, the four of us, are well once Daniel gets on obviously he's a Stark player but the four of us are all somewhat Stark players of the of the three of you guys I play them the least but I do represent them in some tournaments but I think the four of us actually have one thing in common and uh, some of the audience might be surprised to hear it because he's still thought of as an underpowered commander but all four of us like Brendan Tully the Blackfish, as our second commander. Absolutely. Um, that's a lie. He's, uh, he's my first. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> my, my bad, Dave. <laughs> that is don't, a full slate slide, Brett. How dare don't, you? Don't come at Dave sideways about the Blackfish. I forgot. <laughs> yes, Dave's name, the Blackfish. But all four of us see the value in the Blackfish. And after my last uh, tournament game... I did lose. I lost to Free Folk in significant spam. I lost to Silent Death, who is a phenomenal player. Uh, it was an 11 to 9 game. It came down to the very last activation. I needed to roll a 3 plus or a 4 plus to charge my Berserkers into his trappers. They were marked Berserkers with 12 attacks. 
and I had Northern Ferocity in hand, and I was at my last rank. So I feel very strongly that I would have killed those trappers and it would have tabled him. Didn't get the charge. It was such a bloody game. But with that said, after playing that game, I am doubling down on the fact that I just love Commander Brendan Tully. Um, I don't think I failed maybe one panic test that entire game. And other than that, uh, just repeated assaults from the free folk and pass, 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 heal, pass. Like, yeah, he is such a good commander. And I would like to see more people give him a shot. Tanya, people are kind of sleeping on him, at least uh, in the TTS uh, scene. You know, when I saw him, what, what he, was, he was at one point, he was like second worst commander out of every commander. I was just, it boggled my mind. <laughs> well, you and I play him really differently, too. I mean, you run your Zerkers and everything with him. When I went to uh, Indy last January, I ran a seven activation list. Uh, with Brendan Tully, which is a big no-no for Starks. I didn't have any wolves in the list and only seven activations. But as it went, um, apart from the first game against uh, you, Dave, I lost one unit or less in every game after that. Between his healing, almost never failing panic tests, it was a huge advantage I had over my opponents. And the cards, his cards are so easy to play. Except for charge, um, you know, you're going to get charged. They're so easy to play, whereas if you're running Rob, there's times when you don't want to play his cards because you don't want to retreat or whatever. So he's really resilient, and his cards are easier to play. I think we might have Daniel on. Just do a real quick sound check for him. Are you Are you with us and able to hear us now, Daniel? Nope, I guess not. Okay, uh, I'm going to continue trying to trying to sort that out really quickly. Uh, so if you guys want to continue, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Craig. Oh, you're good. I I said my piece. Yeah, I think uh, Blackfish. He's he's r- still really good as like the nor- going the normal routes, you know, with Tully units and you know. Uh, trying to take advantage of that but I just I truly believe that his defensiveness combined with the umber offensiveness and the offensive and maneuverability of the Stark uh, faction is what makes him so dangerous giving that offensive uh, list staying power is you know all you really need you know I can't tell you how many times when I initially posted my uh, my Adepticon list that took, I think it was uh, first, second, second, and third between four straight events uh, in a row. And people just looked at me sideways thinking, why in the world is this list have Blackfish and not, you know, Great John? Because it was all Berserkers. And just, you know, simple answer is Starks don't need more offense. Like they just naturally have so much offense that uh, adding a little, you know, defense to them, you know, makes them so well-rounded that people aren't expecting it. They think, you know, they're at the time anyways, you know, that they're about as close as you get to like a glass cannon before, 
you know, free folk really took over or, you know, people weren't really playing uh, much of Boltons. So, uh, and even if they were, you know, back then, Flayed Men were, you know, super tanky. But, uh, yeah, so it's definitely something that I'm glad to see is starting to change because I believe now he's uh, anywhere between 32 and 36 ranked, so he's, like, right in the middle. But I think with time, he may not get, like, at the very top, but I think uh, Blackfish will definitely rise and be among the top. Well, I think I think probably his biggest asset right now, particularly with the current meta, is just the uh, just some of the panic resistance. Um, and like you said, running him with a bunch of berserkers, um, I might have you know taken that idea and scratched my head a little bit and decided it was a pretty good idea. <laughs> I run him with two. I don't I don't run him in great axes, I run him in sworn swords, but they're technically the same on the defensive side, so I know how resilient that unit actually is. And then I run a unit of Tully Cab instead of third unit of Berserkers. But yeah, I mean, um being able to resist panic damage in this current meta is insane. And it's uh it's it's such a huge um it's such a huge defensive ability that I think people kind of look over just how important it is, like being able to pass nearly all of your panic tests. So units that have a higher defensive save, like the Lannister Guard, for example, without the Guard Captain, I think would end up being less defensive than units that have terrible defensive save and and good morale. So I think that's part of the reason why he's so strong. Daniel, are you with us? Oh, yeah. Seems like I finally managed it. Awesome. Great. So it's the, it's the man of the hour. We've just been, we've just been giving you filler, just, just waiting for the, the man himself to talk. <laughs> yeah, I actually did, um, but I, I wasn't able to, you know, <laughs> switch in. Yeah. I will give you a really quick introduction, and then I'm going to kind of let you take over with how long you've played and how you landed on this. Masters winning event, but uh, yes, this is Lark. It's Daniel Lofman. Uh The Masters was uh, 16 players. It was the top 16 players on TTS, and it was spread out over like two months. So there was kind of uh, a game within the game where you had to try to play the top players and get your scores up just to even qualify. Um, mm-hmm. I was able to play in it. I got knocked out in round one by George. So <laughs> super. <laughs> Super Masters Brett, <laughs> I took Nightwatch, um, and he, he, it just didn't work out so well. But Daniel, obviously, he won with Stark. So if you want to go ahead and first start with the two lists that you selected and mm-hmm. kind of give us some reasons why you choose those lists, what the strengths are, and why they're working so well. Also, by the way, Daniel is, like, by far the number one player in the world right now, and he's a very humble guy. I've played him before. Super friendly and super nice, but he his score is nearly uncatchable. I think I'm in the top ten again, and mine is like a sixteen seventy. Daniel's like nineteen hundred. <laughs> like, how am I ever going to catch this dude? It's not going to happen. So, uh, phenomenal, phenomenal player. So yeah, definitely talk us through your list and and your list building ideas and and what makes them so good. <clears throat> Yeah, thank you so much for the nice introduction. And um, yeah, really happy to be 
to be here with you guys, even at <laughs> this early hours. Um, yeah, what to say? First of all, credit for you bringing Nightwatch, by the way. That was, um, I really like this. Um, yeah, how did I come to my list? Basically, you know, the list that I play is a, is a Howland list, and I always, um, for the cause of maybe like, yeah, def definitely a couple of months, um, half a year probably, I always have like a second list complementing my first Howland list. And the second list is the one that is changing, while the Howland list um, basically stays the same, pretty much. And um, uh, in fact, I play this list since uh, since the early days, like when all of us or many of us, um, uh, yeah, went to the TTS and TTS uh, was big. And you know, since the first Energy uh, tournament, I basically play and practice this Howland read list which was back then the result of my thinking how I could uh, yeah, go for the most competitive stock list in tournament, uh, in a tournament environment, which has to consider that probably if you do it, uh, if you make it until the finals, you will end up against another stock player. So you have to uh, take in mind that uh, you have to be reliably able to beat uh, other stock players. And that's uh, what I um, came up with is um, uh, stack list considering uh, like uh, having 10 activations, which is, I think, a very, very, very good standard in this kind of a competitive um, environment. And uh, what I personally like is to have five combat units on the field um, in comparison uh, to, I mean, basically the difference is like, do you either have four units and three rules or do you have like five regular units and two wolves, and then three NPUs. So uh, I go for the five field units approach to have really good uh, field control. And um, what you can, what I aimed at with list is to be very, very flexible, to have like not this one trick pony, but a list with a lot of depth, as you can say, so that um, like every unit has a certain role, but it's not like the unit crumbles if one of these units uh, get knocked out early or anything. So um, the damage of the list comes from very, very different sources and relies rather on chip damage and many uh, attacks than on uh, yeah big alpha strikes, basically. And so what we have, we have a House Tully Sawn Shield, great unit with Mirror Reads um, as like of... Uh, um, the anchor of the army. Murid also gives you Krenakman affiliation. I could talk about this a lot because I do think that the secondary effects of the Holland cards are very important. Um, um, in uh, yeah, because you basically have to get everything, every little uh, advantage you can get, and uh, this, that is an advantage to have the secondary effect. Then we have uh, Stark Stormsault, Bran and Hodor, also very uh, versatile units, offensive and defensive. We have summer with them. We have the Quenokman trackers, like the signature uh, unit of uh, the army with the Quenokman warden, of course, that's important, um, giving you another Quenokman affiliation unit and also very um, fragile, but also very, very scary offensive units that uh, people tend to underestimate constantly. Um, but what you can also see is this list is versatile in the sense you have everything from uh, Armour Save 3 with the Talisson Shields up to Armour Save 6 Plus with the Chronic Contractors. And um, there's a 
the big variety here. Then we have Dark Outriders, best carefully, carefully unit in the game, in my opinion. Um, insane value for four points, giving you these awesome mobility combined with the two wolves. And then, of course, we have the cheesy Stormcore Mercenaries, which becomes Dark and Shaggy Dog. And then to round it up, <clears throat> Aya Stark for the um, advanced mobility and first strike with Granogman combined. We have Water Fray for control and uh, chip damage where you need it to kill wolves. And uh, we have Howlet Reed, of course. So that's basically my list. And then I have a second list to complement, um, which is for me, Roderick Cassell. It's basically a Berserker, um, uh, Berserker and, um, and Tali Cavalry uh, Army to help me with a very, very um, big armor or um, if I come up against a Melisandre, for example, which uh, the Howland Reed list can handle, but they also can struggle against it. Yeah, that's maybe, maybe that's enough uh, for the beginning. So before you jumped on, we, the three of us were talking about um, how we liked Brendan Tully. And I know for a while, you were running the Blackfish. Mm -hmm. I guess I was wrong since, since you took Roderick at this event, but uh, just really quickly for the, the folks listening, um, the Blackfish has a little bit of a reputation as being not a strong start commander, <laughs> yep. but how do you feel about him as a commander? Um, you know, he's a decent commander for sure, and um, he, has, he has his schemes and he has his tricks, and I think like he's He's very well suited for the secondary role, but he's definitely not, um, not the first line commander, I, I would say. But you could as well go for, yeah, Tully as the second commander, which I did for a while, as you're right. Um, but in the end, he is one of those commanders that relies on the enemy <laughs> um, doing things rather than, like, from his, from his command cards, basically. And um, I feel like Roderick is more control heavy and more gives you the tools to do things basically, and also ha has great uh, great cards to get you out of trouble. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I'm also a very big uh, fan of, uh, of Tali for sure. He's a, he's a, he's a very good commander. Um, but yeah, I don't know. He's, he lacks for sure some some tools to, to get him up there in the first rank of the star commanders, in my opinion. No. Now, I was wondering, uh, what, uh, how do you feel about Walder Frey and how important he is uh, in the current meta, especially with so many Stark players uh, uh, usually entering into tournaments and, you know, how strong he can be, especially for the, the you know, the dire wolf sniping. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he definitely is essential, in my opinion. And let me just check. Because I, I came up against, like, a, um, yeah, I had, like, four Stark games in the Masters, so I just want to check, yeah. I reacted for sure when to order in his Howland list. Um, the Border does not, actually. Um, but then, again, Spleen does it. So yeah, it's it's very common and it's very essential. And there is like this. Um, <laughs> the, it, it also makes that the, the decision whether you have the first turn or the second turn is quite important, because um, if you get 
the second turn, which you maybe want to do with your, if you have water, you can consistently snipe one dog for sure. So that's, that's, that's huge actually. Um, but then again, over the course of the battle, you have to decide whether you want to keep on sniping or you have to or you like use world of the proper way <laughs> and maybe shut off Tully Cap or something. And uh, if you play this game against Sarks, you always have to decide uh, what to do there. And for example, I guess the last game against Spleen is, is a good example where I like, kept sniping his dogs away for the whole course of the game and it, and it went well. Um, but it's, it's a tough decision always. Like, um, and, and you have them. And also against again, the game against Spleen is maybe something to point at here because he even goes further down the line and combines Walder with Varys in his housing list. So he can kill your wolves, but he also denies you for good parts killing his wolves, which is big. So, but then again, we come to a point which for my gaming philosophy is very important. Bringing Varys means you do rely uh, for a good part on dice worlds, which you do, of course, in this game, but you, did, you like add a uh, additional one additional layer of randomness um, to your success. And that's, for my feeling, not what you want to do because it could let you down in the most important moment, like in the, in the Masters final, Varys just could roll for once and you have like no value out of him except for the psychological value, of course. Yeah, no, I, I actually uh, agree with your point. Go ahead. Sorry, Dave. Uh, I had a, a, another question, so if you wanted to ask yours or say your uh, part first. Oh, I was just going to add a little tiny bit in there. Um, I do run Varus in my Rob list. Um, it's just because of um, playing a list like yours, Lark. Um, <laughs> I get two opportunities to uh, to try to save my Dire Wolf. So I will Varus Walder Frey in round one. And if it happens to fail, I know that I've got one more chance to Varus him in round two. Um, yeah. Outside of that, I have basically broken up with Varus. I don't run him in any other faction anymore. Um, just throughout the course of the tournament, after talking with you and, and Yannick and Ariakas and some of these yeah. other very strong international Stark players, we just all seem to kind of agree that throughout the course of a long tournament when things are on the line, uh, Varus just has a tendency to let you down at the most important moments. And yeah. I've been leaning more into Eddard, the NCU, uh, simply because he is so flexible. Yep. And uh, being able to heal when he charges takes the some of the luck out of out of using his ability. But um, mm -hmm. go ahead with what you were going to say, Dave. Uh, just to kind of add to what you're saying about Eddard, uh, my main list, the toss-up is usually between, uh, it's always Catelyn, for sure, uh, and then the second NCU. If I'm only running two NCUs uh, for that event, it, that is also dependent on the meta at the moment. But if it's the two NCUs where I can run two four-pointers, because uh, the other option is uh, to run a four-pointer and the two three-pointers. Anyways, uh, it's usually a toss-up between Varys and Eddard, and it's almost always Eddard, with the except exception of if I feel there's going to be a lot of certain factions. If I feel like I can count on that, where I think I need critical, you know, stopping of the tactics board or NCUs, then I'll run Varus. But more often than not, uh, Eddard's ability to heal combined with, you know, just my style with Blackfish, you know, it. if you add up every card and effect that heals, 
it rivals the amount of healing that uh, that uh, Night's Watch can do with uh, John. Not uh, yeah. as much, but close. Uh, but my question was going to be, uh, Daniel, so for both your lists, I noticed that you have Stormcrow Mercenaries with Rickon and Osha. And I know this isn't like a completely unique uh, combination. Uh, I'm, you know, just uh, it's on paper, it seems obvious, you know, for five points, you get two activations and that's, you know, more bang for your buck. But I was wondering on a tactical level, how do you go about utilizing such a, I would say, more uh, fragile unit with mm-hmm. the fat gun is going to give up an extra victor point if he dies? Um, so how do you use that to your advantage, so to speak, like maybe as bait yeah. or um, something along yeah, those lines? Yeah, that's a good question. Because this unit has a lot to it, and it's not one-dimensional. You can use it in s- several ways, and you probably see me doing it like differently. Um, because, you know, they are not as bad offensively, because what you can do, of course, is this, um, uh, if you go for a double turn and... Um, or tempo turn, you would say, you always have the possibility, which many pay people, including me, forget constantly, you can attack via the backs of them. And that's that's nothing to sniff at. Like, that's okay. And uh, you can use them in this way. They are very flexible and on the offensive level. But at the same time, of course, they, they draw attention because of the additional victory points. But then again, you have a lot of, like, control of the offensive power of your enemy with Howlin' Reed. You, you also see me like uh, um, putting up a lot of like um, hindering terrain, stakes and so on. And you can, you can really control um, the flow of the game with movement, uh, with Howlin' Reed, with Krenner Traps, with Walter Frey and so on and so on. So they are not in danger, as in danger as you would think maybe. And as you, as you mentioned, you can use them and that I like that a lot use them as bait so yeah okay let's uh, kind of a weakened enemy run into them like even let them grind them down but you can make sure that they don't kill him kill uh, the unit with the first attack that's basically what you want to do so um and also you want give the bait of course in a round where you have the swords so uh, that go down fighting comes to full effect and then the opponent and that's kind of a theme with the list the opponent the list um, is is there to force the opponent into bad decisions, basically. And then the opponent makes a mistake and you go for exploiting these mistakes. And yeah, he, he, the opponent may charge, he will lose a lot of wounds. You can combine it with Thyro's favor for additional wounds. And, and suddenly you, you're looking at kind of good traits there. And then you can go with, uh, if you want to, uh, run child one and uh, save the uh, save, uh, victory point and so on. And from there on, you can, you can really um, like plan your game and how it's, how it's going. And I, I like to open up the game with kind of this mercenary bait thing. Yeah, for sure. Just to really quickly touch on what you're saying with the, uh, with the money bag, uh, I'm quite certain that I've seen you pull this play before. Uh, as you mentioned with Howland, have Howland having so much control. It's actually interesting because you can put your opponent in quite a tough spot. If you mm-hmm. have sudden charge in your hand 
and you put Howland onto the horse, of course, uh, to gain the vulnerable token. And then you put Howland onto the unit that he's charging so that when they attack you back, they're minus one to hit. Now at that yeah. point, your opponent has to make a choice between, you know, the swords and, and making the money back. Yeah. But either way he goes, you get a second attack and then your activation. So I can see yeah. that unit attacking three times with yeah. three panic tests being pretty deadly for, for your yeah. opponent. And that's a constant theme of the list. Like, the, the nice thing about the list is um, it tends, well, the people tend to underestimate this list constantly. And um, it's, it's kind of, <laughs> over the course of time, it's, it's pretty funny because you can't play against this list and you somehow, you may lose, and, but you don't know where the, all the damage came from. <laughs> That's like, if you see it on paper, it's pretty much the same. And you have so many sources of chip damage. You have the cards, you have World well, of Frey uh, biting on you all the time. Uh, you have the traps. You have so many attacks that are flying at you from Quenoquent Trackers with uh, Swift Advance, with, with IR. You have the multiple attacks from the mercenaries and so on and so on. Um, I also use the, the dogs quite offensively. I'm not a big fan of like letting dogs sit on objectives, basically. I, I also, of course, I do that if I have to, but I, I really like to use them to quite like as an offensive, very, very mobile units getting uh, into the rear of enemies and so on. So there are coming attacks in from them as well. And um, yeah, that's kind of the, the idea behind this list, basically. So it's, it's kind of a it's kind of a hybrid with uh, Stark and Free Folk in that sense because you've got so many combat units on the field, and I've said for a long time that the reason that that Free Folk are so oppressive, it's not because their units are just taking wounds off with their attacks, it's yep. because they're forcing so many panic tests. Yep. You're eventually going to fail, and you're going to start uh, <clears throat> losing whole ranks to these attacks that really don't have a lot of bite but it's just constantly rolling panic tests and eventually you're just going to fail. That's a good point actually, because that's uh, definitely the, the thing here. And like my, my default terrain also reflects that if I would have to, to choose default terrain, I would definitely uh, choose one corpse pile for sure, because of this reason I would put it uh, on the flank basically where I want to get through with my Chronicle trackers because they also for that damage rely very hard on a failing panic test. Um, and probably stakes, and uh, that's that's one one big thing. And I guess the game against George <laughs> very shows that uh, very well because um, the game for for a couple of reasons um, wasn't going very well for me in the beginning, and I had to play it slow a little bit because I, I lacked my my good offensive cards and so on. But it also I couldn't get through because he like passed I don't know eight, seven, whatever, panic tests in a row. And that really makes a huge difference. And as Mickey put it back then, it's like, you know, we are in the, in the game of panic tests right now. So it, it, makes, um, it makes a lot of difference there. But you have your tools, you have flank attacks, you have corpse piles, um, you can get panic tokens also from um, threat unseen and so on. So you, you, you have your ways to, to deal with it. But yeah, that's important, getting panic tests forcing a lot of panic tests and then rely on your like basic basic luck that they in the eventually will fail some. And we can't we can't move on past the Kranich men without without letting uh, Craig and Dave chime in. Because I personally I have been 
not really a big fan of this unit for a while, but seeing you use them so effectively, playing against Craig, who uses them so effectively, and then mm-hmm. playing against Dave, the times that he's used them, and, and they've been very effective. I, I can't help but I bought this unit, and I'm going to have to get them painted up and get them on the field. But I can't skip this without <laughs> without mentioning Craig. Uh, in my eyes, uh, it's just a legendary play I'll never forget. When he played in this indie event, he killed a unit of Knights of Castle Rock between rounds in Game of Thrones by the free maneuver objective and the free shot from the Kranichman. And his opponent... <laughs> Never saw that coming, and it's mm-hmm. just so funny. But I think Craig has been singing the praises of Cranigman with the Cranigman Warden for a long time. So I want to hear a little bit of what you have to say on that really quickly before we go back to Larks and some of the things that he's seen. Yeah, um, honestly, for five points, I feel like they're one of the best units in the game. Uh, on paper, you know, they hit on fours, they have a six-up save, their morale is not the best. But it's all about economy of actions. Um, for example, you you know, you have your activation and then you have your action. Well, if you can do two actions, it's, a, it's almost the same as having two units. So the more actions you get, the, the higher your advantage is. Uh, being able to move and shoot is insane. And then you start adding in cards, uh, swift advance, move, mm-hmm. shoot. Still haven't even used your activation yet. Um, so you're shooting, you're getting two attacks. That's two panic tests in one activation. Um, and with their speed, you're hitting flanks. So if I've got umbers rolling up the middle and Cranogs on the flank, are you going to turn and face the Cranogs and take the um, umbers in the flank? Or are you just going to keep taking two shots around in your flank? You know, then you get your opponent spinning in circles. And at that point, you're completely dictating the game, and you can do what you want, when you want, where you want. And if things don't go your way and you lose the unit, well, okay, it's a weak unit. It's only five points or six points, depending on the attachment. Um, And then, for example, when I played you in Indy, Brett, I had uh, Aria, and I was in a real bad spot. But I was able to play Aria when you were first player that round and completely changed the entire round simply by playing Aria and getting a shot into the rear of your Knights of Castle Rock. So there's just so many ways with their free shot to completely change the game for five yeah. points. You, yeah, you really can't go wrong. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be in an environment where they are. Uh, well, you as much as I do. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Craig, the Cranigmen. The Cranigmen <laughs> were actually mm-hmm. in my original uh, uh, tournament list. The only reason they actually ever got taken out was, you know, this is back before we had a lot more factions added in, uh, and Lannisters were like you know, one third of what you would see and just Lannister supremacy can eat them alive just because it works on ranged attacks. Um, that was like the only reason I ended up taking them out. Um, but yeah, they're, 
their ability to, you know, with swift advance and a and a warden to have 16 dice hitting on fours with rerolls, especially if you can get a flank with those, uh, you know, that uh, with the swift advance, you know, that could delete a unit in itself. You know, with two panic tests at minus one, let's say there's a corpse pile nearby, minus two, I mean, you can it can get uh, pretty deadly for a five six point unit. Yeah, and let me and with, let me. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, and with Aria, you can get those two or three shots depending on your cards before your opponent can even respond. Yeah, which is huge as well. Obviously, and uh, yeah, they are they are very mobile. They have a great threat range, effectively as a long range unit. And you know that it's interesting because either people do underestimate them and then they basically get wrecked many times, or they know them and they know what they do and they really focus on them, which is also not bad because like for my, for my list, it's like they throwing weakened tokens at them. Like Lannisters, for example, they, they tend to do them like more, tend, like more experienced Lannister plays. But then again, you have like uh, outriders that are not in trouble and they can do, do a lot as well. So it's like the, the opponent has to decide which unit he wants to shut down. And um, that's, that's also good. And one thing, which I found is, is also great, is that if you do your first strike thing and you're on the flank maybe, um, what you can do very well with them is like they're a very good finisher as well. Like imagine they're on the flank of a unit which is damaged and you go in first uh, start of the round with a sudden charge, there's an impact maybe, and you can finish up the unit, but, and then you can search forth and use quick fire again. So you can really get into line and um, yeah, like roll them up from the flank. Um, this being able to to trigger um, quick fire from search force is also something that uh, yeah many don't have uh, in mind if they are looking at this unit. Yeah, and their their melee attack actually isn't horrible. Um, I think it's six dice on fours when they're at full rank. Full rank. Yeah. Uh, it's not great, but uh, no. <laughs> you know, Freefold Trappers and Storm Crow Archers hit on five in melee, so it could definitely be worse. Six hitting on fours is not—it's not the worst thing in the world. They're definitely capable with some start cards boosting them. Yeah, actually getting in there and doing some damage with melee, uh, particularly like you said with their speed and devastating impact while controlling the maneuver zone. They can come in and do a little bit of damage, uh, particularly on units that are low wound or already almost dead. Yeah, and they're they're insane threat range, considering the opponent has to uh, factor in that you could have swift advance. <laughs> it, it really can screw up like the opponent's positional game, and uh, it puts a lot of stress. Uh, on the opponents, as in, from my experience, which is always what you want to. Do you guys have anything else to add about this before we shift into kind of the other half of this conversation, which is where we try to tell some of our listeners how to manage Stark? So with the four of us being pretty strong Stark players, I think we can give these guys some tips. Uh, obviously, a lot of the hot topic is uh, people just getting a little bit frustrated trying to deal with them, so maybe we can point them in the right direction with some tips on games that we've lost and what caused us to lose those games. 
Um, I have some stuff to add when we get to that point, but I think uh, I think I've added about all I have for what we're currently on. Yep, I'm good. Okay. So let's jump right into it. Um, dealing with Starks, <laughs> obviously, it's always going to be really difficult. Um, the, uh, almost nearly everybody is running Starks with eight, nine, ten activations. Um, oftentimes, you're doing outside of Starks and three folks. It's the best you can do to get to eight or nine. And a lot of times, squeezing to eight to nine activations means that you're having some units that the Starks can very easily uh, one-shot with, with a lot of their combos that they have, uh, which is a huge part of the Stark strength in some of these combinations, what we're saying here with Swift Advance and the Cranningman Double Shot, uh, Sudden Charges, uh, Northern Ferocity being actually a phenomenal card, uh, particularly when paired with those Outriders. Uh, I know Craig and I have discussed this, and maybe you as an Outrider player as well, Daniel, I'm not even really that mad when my when my outriders are down to their last rank because they still have six yeah. attack dice and if I play a northern ferocity, they're actually more deadly uh, with the with the panic token from the flank and then getting vicious from that card. It's just it's just insane. Like you get your opponent and they're, they're like I almost have these guys dead. <laughs> now that <laughs> you've just unloaded on me, like yeah, it's kind of waiting for you to get me down to the last rank to play this card. Like, yeah, true. It's the same with Sunny Cat, basically. Yeah. yeah, it's just so crazy good. It gets, yeah, it's Especially just so much better. Lines. Yes. Yeah, yeah one. <laughs> It's a devastating card. So nearly every card in the Stark deck is gas, uh, meaning that it's just an accelerant to the, their already offensive potential. Everything is some type of damage multiplier or it's helping them get into combat. Uh, if you really have a look at the deck, even the, the quote-unquote defensive card, Direwolf Fervor, has an offensive edge to it. Uh, mm-hmm. Using those Kranich men or the Stark Bowmen, you can trigger your own panic test specifically yeah. for the purpose of playing Direwolf Fervor just to kill something off. Uh, yeah, like so much yeah. yeah, there's so much that they can do, so it's really hard to rein it all in. Um, the matches that I struggle the most with uh, are Tyrion. Tyrion Lannister lists, just because he has so much control, you need cards so badly, and you need them to kind of happen when you want them to happen. A, a savvy Tyrion player, or just a savvy Lannister player in general, is is probably pretty proficient at deciding what cards are best to stop, and they'll have the discipline to take away your real home run hitters. So, for me, it's, it's any control stylist, uh, even neutral to some extent, give me fits, uh, because they've got quite a bit of control with Roos, Walder, and uh, Varys, and then some of the cards in their deck, the price strategy, and uh, so that's also, uh, I struggle with Courtney Penrose when I play Starks as well, and Daniel, I know you play a lot of tournaments, so you've run into Courtney a lot. Uh, how do you fare against Courtney Penrose? He seems to be my, my Stark kryptonite. <laughs> yeah, you know, let me uh, begin with your your other list, like because um, I I also feel like too, yeah, what you said is basically my um, impression as well. Like you can't struggle against control, especially with Howland. Um, 
But again, Tyrion shouldn't be a problem on competitive level, except for they run the mountain that rides. I feel like if you, even if you don't have your cards, you have enough combat power on the table to um, to kill the like normal seven activation Tyrion list without the mountain that rides quite uh, handily. So, but again, yeah, of course it's something that can always go wrong. But it's not my my biggest concern, as you as you as you mentioned also. Um, actually, the most games I played on TTS recorded are against Baratheon. So I have like 28 games or so against Baratheon with Starks. Um, so yeah, I really <laughs> uh, know this matchup, um, and it's always it always feels hard and tough. And um, yeah, especially with Penrose, since he combines the the high armor, good defensive with control elements and. Um, that's not something you you want as a Stark player. So what can you do here? You can either go with like this Berserker Tali Cav approach that um, can get you through quite well, but at the same time is for Stark. Um, yeah, it, it's on the rather fragile end of what you can bring. I feel so. Um, I even though I have. Um, my my uh, Roderick list with two Berserkers and Talikev, but it only has eight activations. I tend to not bring this list in the end if I place uh, Courtney, so I, I go with my Hounded list basically most of the time. Since I, you know, you would be either on same activations or even get out activated, but because nine activations uh, is not uncommon. Um, for Berathians to bring with Courtney. And um, yeah, you would lose one of your big benefits, of course. So I go with Howland. And what I found is you have to be, you have to be really patient in this matchup because it's like basically play the mission, get defensive terrain, get stakes, and take your time to surround and pin to the enemy. That's what you have to do. You have to be okay with it that you won't win, which happen in, which may happen in other games like runs uh, three or four, but but you will uh, win in the end if you play your cards and uh, your moves right. Um, but then you will uh, yeah win in round five or six maybe because um, yeah if you play well and if you um, choose your engagements well, you will in the end break some units and then from there on you can really wreck uh, the positional game and get into flanks, get into the rear with all your mobility and then uh, it will go well for you, from my experience. But yeah, you have to be very, very patient in this, in this uh, matchup. I just uh, want to point out that uh, we're supposed to be talking about how to defeat Starks, and of course, Brett shows his little bias, and now we're trying to help him out. What's, <laughs> what's the deal there? Yeah, I was. I guess I, what my my advice to players is, uh, if you want to get the best of Starks, um, I think I think Walder Frey is really important, uh, not just for the dog sniping that we mentioned. The thing is yeah. with Starks, unlike unlike Nightwatch, it's actually not easy to kill ghosts with Walder Frey, even if it's not John yeah. Commander. Uh, they've got Crafter and they've got Amon. So if they suspect that a Walder snipe is coming. They can always save those NCUs for last, even if they just activate pass with another NCU to have an open spot on the board. 
and either one of them is capable of putting the wound back on Ghost. So for the most part, I found that Walder isn't super effective at killing Ghost, but against Stark, they don't have an Amon. They don't have a Crafter. Uh, they've got Eddard, so they would have to do something really crazy to try <laughs> to force the wolf to take a panic test or to charge to heal that wound back, but a lot of times that can work out to your disadvantage. Uh, because then your wolf is probably susceptible to being charged anyway when you don't want it to be. So I think Walder's a pretty important element, just at least knocking one activation out in the first two rounds and then focusing on shutting off their heavy hitters. Um, and then I think, like, like Daniel said, a lot of defense. So with the Baratheon list, it's not just Penrose having counterplot, surprise strategy, and uh, defensive counter. It's also about the, just the five-point Baratheon Wardens being such a hard unit to get through. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that the, the heavily healing Night's Watch list with Jon Snow with veterans and uh, you know some Sworn Brothers, I think that they can struggle with that. And I think the old school Lannister builds with uh, you know a unit of Knights Castle Run and Halberds with Assault Veteran or some Crossbowmen can be something that's really key to uh, taking Starks out. And I think ranged units as well is a really important thing. I've, I've really come back full circle to ranged units. I ran crossbows in every single Lannister list when I first started and then went away from them for a while. But with Starks, you know, they want to get around with dire wolves and they want to get their uh, not necessarily heavily defensive units around. Uh, I think the nemesis of Berserkers and Sworn Swords and dire wolves is crossbowmen from Lannisters or from the Night's Watch. It's just they can't afford to take a volley from those guys. Yeah. What you said, it makes a lot of sense to me. Like, Night's Watch are probably, for me for me also, it's like the the matchup I know the least probably. So, and, and John is, is a problem. It's definitely a, a tough task um, to get through. Not so much with Lannisters, I found. Like, Lannister crossbowmen Mm, yeah, they're good for, for zone control, but at the same time, they are quite easy to take down in comparison to Night's Watch units and Night's Watch crossbowmen. So it's a risk bringing them. Like, you get um, uh, you get Bug Devil Ambush, you get um, uh, Threat Unseens, you can, you know, they, they, they tend to tend to go down quickly in my opinion. Uh, experience, but uh, yeah, range control and zone control is, is very important for sure because you got you got to shut down the movement shenanigans of Starks if you want to win, and um, yeah, bringing like bringing tough units um, and bringing a lot of healing makes sense to outlast their devastating first charges, and from then on you have good chances on striking back, and that's what you have to achieve. Also, like um, yeah, think about a lot of uh, about terrain. That's also very important, like using terrain to maybe save a save a vulnerable flank or um, yeah, shut down or like uh, what do you, what do you call it? Like make the make the uh, the deployment zones or the the field narrow a bit more and so on. That also helps very very much. I feel. And what about the two of you, Craig and? Uh... Dave, what are the matches that give you guys the most trouble? Um, and, and how would you suggest to approach list building if you want to bring down Stark? Uh, to me, I struggle the most with Lannisters. 
um, because of control. And I think that's how you beat Starks is control. Whatever control looks like for you in your chosen position. Um, control can be Walter, which is already touched on. Uh, ranged units, you know, you're with ranged units, as we've already talked about in the last five minutes, you have area control. I don't want to march my Zerkers into that area because I will lose them. But if I don't, I will lose them because you will shoot them anyway. So the, there's that kind of control. Then there's the tactics board. Um, we've already touched on Varus, where he is a dice roll. That sucks. But at the same time, what he can give you is he can prevent the Stark player from getting sudden charge. He can prevent the Stark player from getting the envelope. So one of the things the Starks do really well is their tactic stack combos, a combination of cards, sudden charge, devastating impact. To prevent that, you have to keep them from getting cards. And to keep them from getting cards, you have to keep them away from the envelope on the tactics board. Because, I mean, every round as a Stark player, I'm using my three cards. So every round I'm getting three more cards. If I can get five cards around, I'm golden. I'm going to get the combos I need. If yeah, you can prevent thing, that, I'm going to struggle. Right, go ahead. The one thing with Walder, bringing Walder also, is like um, the thing with turn one and turn two is if your opponent, like a Stark player, gets turn two and is able to heal up his dog, you at the same time will get, as the opponent of the Stark players, get envelope two times in a row and deny the Stark player two envelopes, which is huge, as you pointed out, because Stark tactics deck is a lot of this thing. Exactly. So that's the nice thing, yeah. Another form of control you can use against the Starks is weakened tokens. Um, you know, the Starks throw those combos out there. They have a massive charge coming in. Say it's Tully Cav and I get five critical blows. Well, now i got to re-roll them and I hit you four times. You're fine. So if you can limit the amount of damage coming in, then you're okay in there as well. That all helps. Um, in order to kill Starks, um, you know, they've got weak armor, usually, a couple units aside. So you're probably going to do okay on the attacks, but what they're not going to do is they're not going to fail their panic tests, which, as we've touched on, morale is a whole other um, level of defense. And in a lot of these scenarios, you want that start player to fail the panic test, not just to take the wounds, but so he'll drop the objective. So vicious and panic tokens also go a long way towards giving you a chance to cause that to happen. Because going four to six or six to eight on morale is a big deal. Um, so control uh, tokens, keep them off the envelope, keep them off the horse. For God's sake, please keep them off the horse. And then you'll have yourself a fighting chance with any factor. Yeah, I I actually totally agree with all of those points. Um, when I was a Tyrion player, my strongest mission when I played Stark was to deny them the letter, whether that meant using Varys or whether that meant taking the letter myself. Because, yes, as I mentioned, the Stark tactics deck is gas. Outside of Sansa, now only recycling one card per round, they don't have any, any way to draw cards. They don't have a horn that wakes the sleeper. They don't have any NCUs that help them get cards. So limiting them to three cards in hand is a really good way to limit their offensive potential. And your point with Vicious is definitely very well heard because, uh, you 
know, uh, Larks run five combat units, but a lot of times Stark players are running four and then squeezing in those dire wolves, which is a, a, you know, a point that Larks made. Uh, they can't afford to fail panic tests because outside of Edart, and maybe if they bring Tycho, they don't have a whole lot of healing either. Um, I think Tully's cards and Tactical Regroup, I could be wrong, but I think those are the only healing in the Stark set. So they can't afford to take the four wounds from the panic test. It, it can be a downward spiral that they just can't recover from. Uh, very, very solid points, Craig. Uh, what about you, Dave? Um, I would say that uh, uh, I think Starks are so um, like they're good at just about anything and everything that I don't think there is necessarily any one faction that is good against them. I think it comes down to what kind of player you are. So for example, I know you guys have kind of been talking about control, but for me, the hardest matchup for me is Night's Watch and their ability to weather a hit and heal. Mm. Because uh, as you know, like my list, you know, three berserkers and a great axe with, uh, you know, some other stuff thrown in there. I really need to hit and hurt you. Uh, If I hit you and it doesn't do much, then, you know, it's going to be an uphill battle for me or near impossible. If I can't, if my damage output can't exceed uh, how much you're healing fast enough. So for me, I would say just because of my play style for Starks, it's it's Night's Watch for sure. Uh, and Baratheon sometimes, um, in particular, maybe like a Renly uh, uh, loyalty faction that's going to um, heal and be able to dish out some more damage. But then again, I have three Berserkers, so dishing damage back to me doesn't, it, you know, it kind of just increases my ability to hurt them back. So, um, Baratheon's a lot less, but uh, someone on a keyboard, that's really loud. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Night's Watch, uh, mostly like John. John was like Amon, you know, the traditional like starter, uh, um, you know, starter box uh, lists. Um, I would say if you're facing Starks, one thing to always watch out for is, uh, you know, you can kind of say this about any faction, but I think Starks more so than anything. Maybe it's just personal uh, um, experience, but when I'm facing against Starks, more so than when I face against any other faction, I'm constantly in the back of my head, uh, trying to think of what cards they have because a lot of the uh, Stark Tactics deck is actually like an offensive controlly, you know, kind of screw you up, you know, when you're not expecting it, you know, a a devastating impact that auto successes or a uh, swift advance that will get that charge that you didn't think was even possible or winter is coming to stop, you know, a, a key effect or tactics card that you had um, that you're going to use uh, or even, you know, reactively, you know, trying to charge into, you know, a Roderick list with martial superiority or into a blackfish list with a uh, set for charge. I think, Starks, more so than any other faction, just have all these cards that are 
you know, punish you in such a bad way if they either use them, you know, offensively or defensively, depending on what the card is, and you you not expecting it. But then again, you have to keep it in the back of your mind. But then you also have to tell yourself, well, there's so many in the deck that how do you truly prepare for all of them? Um, you kind of have to just play it uh, case by case on which card at that moment would be the worst for you. But there's just so many that... You know, like Night's Watch, for me, it's usually just Watcher on the Wall. That's like the only one that I'm, like, key trying to look out for, like, that I think would really screw me up. Um, Baratheons, it's really just kind of like Ours is the Fury, you know, being smacked back and then them being able to activate afterwards, or even maybe uh, Stag's Resilience. But it's usually just a card here or there in a lot of cases. Uh, for Starks, there's just so many. So I would say... Uh, do your best to kind of watch out for, um, you know, all the different situations where they might be able to screw you up with an offensive play or like a reactive defensive play, like set for charge. I agree with that. And in order to help with that, try to prevent the secondary effects of their cards because it's really the secondary effects that it gets, that gets you. You know, a devastating impact goes from two hits to two wounds and from a reroll to a guaranteed six on a charge, you know, just as an, as an example. So take the horse, whether you use Peter Baelish to do it so you can do something else or whatever. But if you can turn off the secondary effects of those cards, that also goes a long way towards helping you get through it. Yeah, definitely. And you've got to be very careful with your positioning. You have to measure a lot. You have to factor in the swift advance. Uh, you, yeah, protect your flanks. Um, be tight on the thing with the angles and stuff. And um, then you're then you're good. Yeah, as you said, like factor in all those cards they could play. Shut down the horse basically. Deny them cards. Force them to uh, throw their cards away. Um, that's. That's what you want to do. And I also feel like there are a couple of ways to play Starks, of course, like this very, very hard first strike thing, like double Talikev, for example, with Rob, which um, suffers a lot by weakened, uh, suffers a lot uh, with weakened tokens and control. But then again, you have this list like my Howland list, which spreads out the damage more to several uh, sources and attacks, which on the other hand is not so... Um, yeah, cannot be, it's not affected so hard by weakened tokens. Um, but for example, against Night's Watch, the shield comes into play very, very effectively here because it, if there are so many attacks, uh, the effect of the D3 wound, uh, D3 wounds that are blocked or D3 is, um, is, uh, is, is very huge. That's something I found, uh, why my Howlanders, for example, struggles so hard against, uh, John Lists because, yeah, from, Three attacks with kind of contractors or two attacks uh, where every time you get like two blocked hits or so, it's, it's a big thing. Okay, so um, when we talk about healing, do you, uh, do you think that maybe more people should be running Tycho into Stark? Uh, I know for myself, I've noticed. Uh, particularly with the Zerkers, uh, if they don't get in, get out, 
and they get stuck in a grind, they don't last very long. Do you guys see Tyco as a pretty valuable tool for these other factions to be using, uh, as Dave mentioned, kind of weathering that first hit? I think that alpha strike is important because the Starks really want to take their activation advantage, and they want to double down. That way they can really start getting some of their more glass cannon units around you a lot easier, and that's where the Starks really become strong. So if you're able to kind of survive those first strikes, and with Tycho kind of being uncounterable, unless your opponent plays him first and you have Varus and you Varus him for that round, outside of that, there's not really a lot that can stop him. Do you think that maybe people should give some consideration to running Tycho and uh, helping them withstand some of those alpha strikes? Yeah, I mean, that's a proper strategy. And it's especially it becomes very nasty if it's like in something like Courtney list. I think a few days ago I played against Courtney with Tycho. And uh, yeah, the usual like Rose Knights champions wardens thing and uh yeah that's a, that's a tough one because it helps you uh as you said like it prevents uh, the stark from breaking through your lines it helps keep your lines cohesive keep them closed and uh, that's what you want to achieve so uh it's definitely the right way definitely uh the right way to go um at the same time it's it's an ex a kind of extensive thing um um to do i mean it's it, it's uh four points and the effect is a, a one-time effect so um you gotta think about it but it's definitely one strategy so one last thing i guess before we do closing and i i guess if the other hosts have any points to add uh one last thing when it comes to playing starks i've found uh, we could probably do an entire episode on this, but there is definitely a huge uh, psychology to this game. There's definitely a huge amount of poker face. Um, even on TTS, you know, you, you just kind of talk to your opponent a little bit. And uh, Daniel specifically, when I play against like you and Yannick, we, we have a lot of table talk. Like we talk to each other a lot. And there's, there's some degree of psyching your opponent out. Um, like, if I take one of my NCUs and flip it, you know, we openly talk to each other like, well, you must have a sudden charge in your hand, Brett, <laughs> you know, and then sometimes you can fake this sudden charge and there, there becomes a whole nother level of that. But do you think, for the most part, that uh, you can somewhat reliably predict what the Stark is doing by either body language in person or particularly in TTS, if you see them kind of measuring, like, okay, I'm going to make this maneuver and then they're they're kind of fine tuning it, and they're you, they're not saying out loud what they're doing, but you can read, hey, this unit's movement six, and he's measuring to be exactly twelve inches away from me. He's probably got a sudden charge, and he's got a devastating impact. You look on the tactics board; the Starks players played the horse. Okay, I need to be really really worried about this coming. I need to make sure I put myself in a position to where I'm not going to be totally blindsided by this. And then by that same token. I am of the opinion that as a Stark player myself, I don't, I don't get called out on it a lot, but people should. If my first move on the tactics board, particularly if you varist and canceled the zone that I'm taking, and I take my NCU and put it down on the horse, that should be a very strong indicator that I've got one of those cards that's exponentially more powerful by the horse. Because otherwise, why wouldn't I have blocked you from taking the letters? So I think that reading 
the tactics deck in general is a good idea, but I think for a, a lot of the times, players are kind of telegraphing their move, and you can get better at reading what they're doing if you kind of try to pay attention to what they're doing and why they're doing it. Uh, how do you guys feel about that? Do you think there's merit to that? Absolutely. I think so. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, I definitely, I think so. I think, uh, you know, telegraphing is something that comes with, uh, you know, like being able to tell when someone is accidentally telegraphing their plans is something, you know, you'll learn with experience and just playing. Uh, I think this is where it also comes down to being able to play every faction and I know that might not be real, you know, realistic uh, in person, you know, owning every single army and be crazy like me. But uh, TTS is perfect for that because, you know, you have every unit, every model at your disposal to kind of test things out. Um, and the more you play every faction with every commander, it gives you a bigger insight of what to expect. Because there's a difference between seeing an effect and you know, never really having played against it or with it, uh, or even maybe you've played against it once, but there's a whole nother level of expecting uh, when something is going to happen when you play as the faction, because you only get so much of the knowledge playing against it. Um, I mean, I'm sure with enough experience against a faction, you can kind of get most of that, but I think it takes a lot longer uh, and a lot more practice to play against a faction to learn all the ins and outs like that. Uh, that's why I try to mix it up. Uh, if I'm not doing a tournament, uh, I mean, I almost rarely play my Starks. If I'm playing, you know, pickup games, it's pretty much every other faction rotating uh, between all the different uh, commanders, and I try to mix up all the different units. And I really try to, like, dive deep into how you know, the different uh, combinations and uh, tactics will work with a faction. That way, when I'm playing against the faction, I kind of already know most of my opponent's game plan. Uh, they might have a different style than me, and they might, you know, mix things up here or there, but generally I'll have a really good idea on what to see, and that kind of plays into uh, telegraphing, you know, when they're doing something, because if they start to do something, uh, having played that faction, I'll I'll know all the different things that that kind of leads to, and it it'll give you a big uh, key on what what uh, their plan is. As far as playing as a Stark or against Starks, the nature of the deck is such that once you know it, you know by playing it or playing against it a hundred times, they've said it's easier to learn it by playing it. Uh, the nature of it is such that they kind of have to telegraph the plays, you know, because you still have to set them up for them to happen. Um, so as a start player, a good way to counter that of not, hey, guess what? There's a sudden charge coming. It's really obvious. There's the horse. I'm 12 inches away or whatever. What I'll do sometimes is I'll start bluffing. I'll start measuring other random spots, and I'll get the opponent focusing on other parts of the table <clears throat> while they're taking their turn. You know, not interrupting them or anything, just kind of measuring around, whatnot, to try to cover that up a little bit. Especially in tournaments where 
opponents knew, know everything you're going to do inside and out. You just don't want to make it too obvious. I, I can definitely testify firsthand to, to Craig's poker face. Uh, it was a little bit of a game within a game. Uh, the only match we played, I was playing Tyrion, and he was playing Howland, and uh, it was a really tight game, and uh, we were kind of bluffing each other out, and uh, it was really interesting. And yeah, yeah Craig, you can... that's funny that you... Oh, sorry. Uh, I was just going to mention real quick, uh, Craig, it's funny you mentioned, you know, like, you know, measuring other things to, like, trick your opponent. Uh, you know, that's something I do all the time. You know, I'll I'll even act as if I'm going to throw down a card and be like, you know what, never mind. Uh, and then just go, you know, I do it quick enough to where it's not like, you know, slow play or wasting a bunch of time. Like I'm not sitting there for minutes, you know, doing all this stuff. It might just be like a quick thing here, a quick thing there. It's just over the course of, you know, the whole game, you know, one of them's going to throw them off but you also have to do it quick enough to where you're not, like, impeding the entirety of the game by trying to do all that stuff. Right. Sometimes I will even go as far to bluff with my movements. For example, I'll do something really stupid. I'll throw a wolf out there, and I'll do it just so that my opponent thinks, oh, he's got the North Remembers. He wants me to kill the wolf, and I don't have the North Remembers. I'm really praying you don't kill the wolf, but you don't know that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I called Dark Angel out on that one time And it, it, didn't, it didn't work out for me very well at all Dark Angel is one of the Australian <laughs> players he put, a, he put a wolf out there and I was like eh, I don't think you have it <laughs> I killed the wolf, of course he had He had the North Remembers And uh, as I recall, it cost me a unit of berserkers I was like, well, that wasn't a very good move <laughs> He didn't have much faith one. in you <laughs> He's like, no, I know no. he's going to fall for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it was kind of like the calling out the bluff. I think uh, he he kind of double bluffed me. Like, uh, he'll think that I'm bluffing. You know, like, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's that's a part of the game, right? So, you, and also, like, using the knowledge of your opponent to your advantage, basically, because... What you can also do, or what I like to do with uh, my Howland list, is you have this the very devastating combination with Krenokman and Aya, and <laughs> people that are used to this list know this, and all eyes are on them, and they focus, like, what will they do? How can they do these things, and so on? And you, at the same time, you can bring, like, your sword sword in position, like, kind of a good position, and then even use Aya not on them, on the Krenokman, but instead of uh, on the Sun Swords, for example, and then, you know, suddenly you are in the flank getting a very, very nice devastating chart with them, or even like use IR on maybe Sun Shields to get them into the range with Mira of a dog and uh, shut the dog down, basically, for the rest of the game or so. So, yeah, I really like this thing, and um, it adds yeah additional layers to uh, the complexity of the game, which is very cool. Yep, I totally agree. And I, I think the message that should be pretty clear to everyone is the the best way to deal with any faction, not just the Starks, is to, you know, get out there and play games. Uh, play games against a lot of different people. 
everybody plays this game differently. Um, once we get through this pandemic stuff and the game stores open, we should have people busting through the doors, just ready to show off the models that they've been painting while they're quarantining. And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited for when some of this passes and some of these restrictions are lifted and we can play in person again. But in the meantime, there's a huge TTF community and, uh, a lot of people willing to play pickup games and, and show you some of their tricks. So uh, absolutely don't hesitate to try to reach out to people and ask for games because that's definitely the best way to learn. Uh, I always say that I learn a lot more from a loss than I do from a win. So don't let your pride get in the way. Uh, go challenge the best players that you know or the best players that you've heard of and see what you can learn from them. Yeah, definitely. I, there was a time when I was basically constantly, like, uh, every day or, or every day or two, like, looking for games and just playing uh, the awesome guys that are out there. And yeah, you learn you learn so much. And especially now we are living in interesting Song of Ice and Fire times, um, since uh, we have the big impact of the dragons and we have the big impact of the mammoth. And there are interesting tasks also for star players to. Uh, see how they have and how they can to adapt to this new threat. And uh, so it makes a lot of sense um, to get in these games from both sides. It's also so cool. I, I think uh, it was mentioned earlier on, like how much you learn playing uh, not only against someone, but also play as the other faction. And that's so cool that we can do this uh, on TTS even without uh, yeah, having to buy uh, the units in the first place. Well, I think we've jabbered on uh, quite a good bit about Starks and Jerso. Uh, if Dave and Craig don't have anything else to add, I think we can kind of wrap up. Yeah, I think uh, I think we're pretty good. If you want to um, maybe do some shout-outs, uh, I think you have a tournament going on soon, don't you? I do indeed. Uh when I named it, it was the first of its name. So the tournament is named ELO Handicap, first of its name. Uh, since then, there have been two uh, tournaments added using the ELO Handicap. Just a really quick rundown because I don't know the exact math. Essentially, it's a tournament that is rewarding players for taking commanders that are often not used or uh, relatively weak in the stats. Uh, basically, you can run those commanders without feeling like you – don't stand a chance to even place in the top 10 because the ELO scores will multiply your scores from the tournament based on how terrible your commander is performing. Uh, it's a very good opportunity to play some of these commanders that you think are just underrated uh, and you think that they're good. So you can go out and prove just why they're good and you'll be rewarded for that. Uh, it's listed on a song of ice and fire stats. As I said, the name of the tournament is, ELO Handicap, first of its name, Tournament of the Unchosen. It is open registration. It's a one-day TTS event, so it'll be similar to an in-person event where you play all of the games in one day. And it's scheduled for Saturday, December 5th. I think currently we have 14 or 15 signed up with a couple more that I know for sure are playing. They just haven't signed up yet. Uh, it should be really, really fun. I'll be running it and not playing. And um, I'll be doing some manual pairings just to uh, keep the matches as fair as possible. 
looking over the list, I'm going to uh, be uh, pairing the guys that are running, you know, two stag nights uh, against other players that are running some goofy stuff like, uh, you know, a Tywin Lannister with, uh, you know, halberds and uh, bloody mummer skirmishers and things of this nature, uh, you know, against each other so that it's not just somebody randomly running into a blackfish list who's rated low, but all of us know that he's actually very good. Um, but that's going on. And um, other than that, you know, just the, the normal checking out all the content creators. And uh, it's really important right now uh, to give those guys your support because they're, they're what's helping to drive this game through the pandemic and keep this community interested. So definitely always give them a like and subscribe. Um, and when you can, uh, anybody that's got a Patreon page, if you can afford it to kind of help them out uh, because we do this for the community. And a lot of times the content creators are paying out of their pocket with their time and actual money to bring this stuff to you guys. So anytime you can help any content creator, it's appreciated uh, because the community can always use more people creating content and giving their take on, on things. So Yeah, and I definitely want to give a shout out to Daniel. Uh, it's no small feat to you know take first place in the Masters Championship, and not only that uh, to have such a high you know rating on uh, TTS. So definitely a shout out there. You know, hopefully, uh, um, you know it'd be awesome if we could all play in person one day, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, I mean that. Thank you. That would be really great. I, I would love to come to the U.S. Uh, <laughs> playing you guys for sure. And uh, yeah, I just also want to make a shout out to all the great guys that keep this game running, all the content creators like like you are, and um, all the opponents also on the Masters. I had really, I really had a blast. There were so many awesome guys. Uh, every game was um, was very, very cool. Very high level of sportsmanship, and um, yeah, great experience. Awesome. And, uh, I don't know, maybe we can go out to you, uh, you know, on Brett's dime. He'll, uh, he'll pay for all of us to go out there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, uh, I think, uh, the only other shout out I really have is, uh, everyone keep in mind, um, uh, next it's technically next week is our one year anniversary for the show. Uh, but because we skipped a week, uh, due to me being, um, uh, deployed for the hurricane and a bunch of other stuff going on. We miss, we missed that week. So technically um, our 52nd episode is uh, two weeks from now. Definitely uh, tune in live to that one because we will be giving away a bunch of uh, um, prizes for callers. Um, and we will have one really big uh, prize that will be announced uh, probably in the coming uh, week. Um, so definitely don't miss out on that. I know a lot of you guys have been kind of turning from live uh, listeners to kind of listen to the recordings. And, um, you know, definitely if you uh, can call into any of them, call into to that show two weeks from now. Um, lots of lots of prizes, uh, depending on how many callers we have. It could be every caller. Uh, so definitely call in uh, and keep an eye out for that one. Um, and then, you know, Whenever you guys can, you know, share our show out. Uh, you know, you can 
find us here live every uh, Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, we are on a song of ice of fire guild.com, blogtalkradio.com, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Um, and then if there's any other uh, um, platforms that you guys would like to see us on, because that's kind of what you use, just let us know, because we don't really have a preference which one you guys uh, listen to. You know, we're kind of here to just do our show for you. Uh, you can also find us on our Discord. Um, that's... Uh, mostly for like uh, recommending shows and just kind of talking with uh, the hosts, you know, with maybe some uh, that you have that you want to discuss. Uh, so definitely check that out. Um, you know, keep in mind with everything going on, especially if, uh, if you're where you're at is looking like it's going to be locking down again uh, to keep your local game stores in mind. If you do have, uh, you know, the spare money and you're able to afford it, you know, see if you can help them out in any way you can, uh, whether it be like curbside pickup, you know, delivery, just anything you can. If maybe they're not like selling anything at the moment, see if maybe you can even do gift cards. Uh, you know, because that'll give them some income um, uh, off the bat uh, to kind of get them through everything. So uh, just keep all that stuff in mind. Um, again, thank you, uh, Daniel, for coming on. Uh, congratulations on first place. Uh, thank you to my hosts uh, that are on here with me. Uh, I appreciate you guys. You know, couldn't really do this show uh, or... I mean, I guess I could, but it would definitely be pretty boring if I did it by myself. So I'm definitely grateful to have uh, all of my uh, co-hosts to help me with this show. Um, again, uh, check us out uh, next week and especially uh, two weeks from now. This is the Small Council Radio, and it is dismissed. <laughs>